Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. Well, good morning, church. My name is Brandon, and uh, you might already know this, but I just so happen to be the pastor of the fastest growing and absolute best church in Hortonville, Wisconsin. I wanna, yeah, we can give a round of applause. I uh, want to just uh, first start by saying good morning to my dear uh, Hortonville Church family joining us live right now. God bless you guys. Hope you're having a, a wonderful morning. Uh, don't have too much fun, though. I mean, save a little bit for, for next week. I'll be back out there next Sunday. And hey, listen, to any of you who are participating with us online, I want to say thank you so much for joining us. We're sincerely, sincerely glad that, that you chose to make this part of your Sunday morning. And it's my it's my my deep prayer that God would richly bless you uh, this morning, all of us, that this would be a blessing for all of us. What I'd like to do before I get going is I would like to attempt, at least, to clear my name. Uh, Some of you may remember a month or so ago when Pastor Brian broke, what was it? Oh yes, the ninth commandment by accusing me of eating ketchup with my steak. And... (laughs) I would like to go on record, I want to be clear, I'd like to go on record that I would never commit such an abhorrent crime, and I would like to remind Pastor Brian of the words of the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3, where he says, you must put away all slander and obscene uh, talk from your mouth, and uh, saying that I would eat my steak with ketchup, I think that fits that description, so Pastor B, uh, listen, I forgive you, and when you're ready to reconcile... I'd be more than happy to let you take me to a steakhouse of your choice, all right? Sound good? So the topic this morning is why do we study together? Like, why is this book such a big deal in the life of this church? we, We want everyone to be reading this book on their own, but that's only part of the equation, we, there's also a communal aspect to, to study in the Word, and it's a big deal here. Like, Bible study is a team sport, and at this church, we want everyone on the field. Think, think about this. This is, this is a big deal for us. Think about it. We, in the rhythms of this church, we give a disproportionate amount of time and energy to gathering people for the corporate ministry of the Word of God. Think about it. Half or more of our weekly worship service is devoted to preaching uh, this book, to, to, to teaching out of this book. And then all throughout the week, we've got men's frad where guys gather to, and they study the word together. Awana, where kids gather and they study the word together. Greenhouse, where teens gather and they study the word together. Women's ministry, where they gather and they study the word together. Alliance Young Adults, where they gather and study the word together. Many churches, we gather, study the word together. Senior ministries, we gather, we study the word together, right? And and then, of course, that that study is going to take different shapes, Sometimes it's sitting under preaching. Sometimes you have a pen and a notebook. Sometimes it involves talking with a group and discussing a certain uh, book of the Bible or a text or or a biblical concept. Sometimes it involves fun and games. One time to help 
kids know Jesus more and learn his word. I ate an earthworm, all right? It takes all shapes and sizes, but listen, pretty much everything we do here is some form of gathering together uh, to study the word with other people. At this church, the word of God is so central to our gatherings. It's like the, it's like the turkey at Thanksgiving. I mean, can you imagine Thanksgiving without turkey? And now it might be a little early to talk about Thanksgiving, but this is our very last uh, official summer Sunday. We're going to move from sunburns to frostbite in no time. So just imagine Thanksgiving with no turkey. What a nightmare. Yeah, everyone's, the whole family's there gathered around the table and they're just sad looking at each other. Yeah, you got all the other stuff there. There's the mashed potatoes and the stuffing and the green bean casseroles and to make sure the two, two sets of in-laws, uh, you know, don't butt heads. We have both types of cranberry sauce, the real stuff and the one that still is shaped like a tin can, right? You got all, all the other stuff's there, but then you look in the center of the table and there's this platter and it's just empty. And you say, well, I guess we should just eat all this other stuff. That's not Thanksgiving, is it? No, what is that? That's just a group of people loading up on carbohydrates. That's not, that, that's not Thanksgiving. Every time we gather, the word of God is the main course. Like, it's not the whole thing, but it's the part that we spend the most time on. It's the, it's the part we cook the longest. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff going on, and we want it all to be good. But man, if we get one thing right at this church, we want it to be the corporate ministry of God's word. So why is gathering to study the word such a big deal? This is an important question for you to be asking right now. Why? Because there is no doubt a host of activities and events and responsibilities all vying right now for space on, their, on your calendar. Isn't that right? I mean, you've got a million different opportunities, everything from work to sports to Netflix, and they're all going, ooh, 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 pick me, pick me, pick me. I, uh, prioritize me. Oh, let, let, me get, let me get a little bit of space on your weekly calendar. And so, so what do you choose? Like, what do you, what do you prioritize? If, if what we do here, when we gather around this word, if it's not actually important or beneficial, then I'd say you should probably pick some of those other activities. But if what we've got going on here does matter, then you being here is important, isn't it? And, and the gathering on Sunday morning and throughout the week to study the word together should be a high priority. So let's get at the, the why behind this. And I, I'm sure there's a ton of compelling answers. There's a, there's a ton of different ways I could have gone about this. But in the passage of scripture that we're going to read today, which is Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, we'll see that a Jesus community, you get what I mean by that, a Jesus community is called to be like Jesus, and we need the word of God to keep us on track. And so what I want to do this morning is read this text. I want us to get this important message. So when I pray after I read the text, I want all of you to pray with me in your, in your heart and in your mind with God. And let's all together ask God, God, would you, would you, just, would you help us get this? 
And then I'm gonna walk through each verse and my goal is that you would leave here reminded of the importance of giving calendar space, like nearly immovable calendar space to gathering with others for the purpose of just feasting on God's word. So here it is, Romans 15, verses one through four. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. So would you pray with me now, church? God, we see in this text that you have a high call on a church on a community of people who are following Jesus, that we have got to be like Jesus. And we see that we need your word so desperately if we're gonna get this thing right. And so God, would you soften our hearts right now that we might receive the message that you have prepared for us this morning that when we leave these walls, we would continue to be the church and we would do so in a way that glorifies your name and reaches out to a world that needs you. I pray this in Jesus' glorious and powerful name. Amen. Important piece of information anytime you read the book of Romans. Roughly 15 to 20 years before, uh, or sorry, after Christ was crucified, the Roman emperor Claudius had banished Jews from, from Rome. So all, all the Jews had to leave the city, and this included the Jesus-following Jews. Uh, so the church in Rome was then left uh, comprised almost entirely of Gentile background believers, like non-Jewish. And after five years, they were allowed to return. And so with, with them came the Jesus-following Jews as well. And so the church was reunited, but in the meantime, uh, it it had no doubt, the church in Rome had no doubt become very non-Jewish. And so when they were reunited, this no doubt led to tension and misunderstanding and, and division. And so Paul wrote them this letter, and he gives them the theology behind why they are truly one church in Christ. He explains that that Jews, they they need Jesus to save them. And and non-Jews, they they need Jesus to save them too. And he responds to a load of questions and objections as to why that is and how does that work and and what does this mean for their day-to-day lives. And in the section we just read, Paul explains, and this is the first point I want you to see, that a Jesus community, a church, a Jesus community is not meant to be a me-first community. Uh, Verses 1 and 2. 
We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Okay, so you see that Paul draws this distinction between the strong and the weak. And to our modern ears, that might sound a bit prejudiced, but that's not his goal. He's not assigning varying degrees of value to different groups of people. He's, uh, the, the concept here of weakness should be understood in the terms of vulnerability and susceptibility. Like certain people are more likely to be influenced by certain things than other people. And in this way, I have no issue saying that when it comes to certain aspects of faith and, and my relationship with God and my conscience and my, my, my spiritual life, uh, my wife is stronger than I am. And in other ways, I'm stronger than she is. And that does not reflect our value. It's not a bad thing. It's just a thing. And Paul says that those who are strong in a certain area have an obligation, like this is mandatory, to bear with the failings of the weak. And now I'm not altogether satisfied with the word choice of failings there. I much prefer the New American Standard Bible, which chooses the word weaknesses. Why? Because A, that's what the Greek word means, and B, it saves a whole lot of confusion. Uh, this should say, uh, those who are strong have an obligation to bear with the weaknesses of the weak. Why do I say that's a better word choice? Is because he's not talking about an area where someone has failed or, or missed the mark or fallen short. It just means their, their weakness is an area where they're more vulnerable. And so what you've got in the church in Rome, uh, when, when Paul wrote this letter, you got half the church are Jewish background believers. And they're, and they're saying, listen, we've been taught our entire lives that, that uh, God doesn't want us to eat pork. <laughs> he wants us to rigorously follow the law. We, we got to keep the Sabbath on the right day and the festivals on the right day. And, 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 and we can't eat pork. And even thinking about that violates our conscience. Like something feels off, like it's just not right. And then on the other hand, you've got the, the Gentile background believers and maybe even some of the Jewish background believers who really get the gospel. And they're saying, they're saying, no, 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 listen, Jesus died for us. And his blood covers all that and more. And it's not what goes into a person's mouth that defiles them. It's what comes out of it. And we're in the new covenant, hallelujah, pass the bacon. You, you, you could see how this would cause division. You could see how, how divisive a topic like this would be. And the thing is that neither party is right or wrong necessarily. They're just different. But Paul wants them to know that in the Jesus community, we don't tell the weak to toughen up. We tell the strong to kneel down. In the Jesus community, we pick each other up. We have an obligation to bear with the weaknesses of our brothers and sisters. And that word to bear with does not mean simply to tolerate. The word means to pick up and carry. We are to help shoulder each other's burdens. 
through love, through prayer, through practical uh, consideration, and through self-sacrifice. That's how the Jesus community is supposed to work. It's our obligation. Our Our obligation is not to please ourselves, right? We're not supposed to be a me-first community. The question, according to verse two, is not what would I like the most? The question is, how can I build that person up? That's the type of community we're supposed to be. The Jesus community's not meant to be a me-first community. And Paul says, you need any proof? Just look at Jesus himself. How do we know that the Jesus community isn't supposed to be full of me first people. The second point is because Jesus wasn't a me first Messiah. Does that make sense? Paul's gonna point to Jesus. Look at verse three. For Christ did not please himself. Right? The goal that Jesus had wasn't to do what's best for Jesus. Jesus wasn't, didn't leave, uh, lead a me-first lifestyle. His goal wasn't to live for himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Jesus' goal wasn't to do whatever felt best for Jesus. And if there ever lived a human, I would say, who would have been just in living a me-first lifestyle, it would have been Jesus, Right? like the morally perfect son of God, Lord over all. But even he, he did not lead a me first lifestyle. Think about how Jesus lived. He left the comfort, his own comfort as king. He left to suffer as a servant. Like he left, he left his throne to take the manger to to live the life we couldn't, to be falsely tried. He He was mocked for us. He was beaten for us. He was spat on for us. He exchanged the throne of his glory for the cross of God's wrath for us. As it is written, Paul quotes Psalm 69 verse 9, the reproaches or the insults of those who insulted you, God, fell on me. Paul says that's talking about Jesus. Jesus took the hatred of humanity toward God upon himself for us. See, Jesus is an other's first savior. So we've got to be an others first community. That's Paul's message. Now, what does that got to do with the word of God? What does this have to do with the importance of gathering and studying this book? Now, this is where Paul almost seems to deviate, like there should be parentheses around verse four. But But it makes sense Because in explaining how the Jesus community is supposed to exist, Paul brings in the role of the word of God in the Jesus community. And the third thing I want you to see is that it's the word of God that keeps the Jesus community on track. On track. Okay, so let's look at verse four, but I want you to keep in mind while we do that that, that Paul had just cited 
Psalm 69, verse 9, which was written like a thousand years before Paul wrote this letter. And he quotes this psalm to point the Jesus community back to Jesus and to instruct them on how the community is supposed to work. Verse 4, for whatever was written in former days, that's that's the first two-thirds of this book. Whatever was written in former days, why was it written? Was written for our instruction. The stuff that was written back then was written to instruct us now. That, through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. If a church wants to stay on track for the long haul and not be hopeless and without direction, but stay headed the right direction, on track the way Jesus wants us to be the church, we need the word of God. So what does a book from antiquity got to do with a church in the 21st century? What I'll say is this. Is it in the same way that that old verse from that psalm preached a message to the church in Rome, these scriptures preach a message to our church today. In the same way that that psalm, that verse from that psalm, pointed the Jesus community back to Jesus and realigned them with who Jesus is and corrected and encouraged and instructed them to stay on the right track. In the very same way, what was written has been written for our instruction. Guys, it's this book together that is always going to point us back to Jesus. We're inevitably going to drift from Jesus and who he is and how we're supposed to do this thing called church. And week after week, it's going to be this book that points us back to Jesus and points us back to Jesus again and points us back to Jesus again. It's God's word that points us to Jesus, realigns us and instructs us how to be the Jesus community that we're called to be. So at Alliance Church, we have all sorts of options that are to help you engage with the Word of God with other people. In addition to Sunday mornings, uh, we have options for kids and teens and young adults and men and women and seniors, and there there are many churches. And and, and, uh, maybe one of these would be a fit for you. I encourage you to check them out. I encourage you to swing, uh, pay attention to the expo as you leave after the service. And now I, I would like to invite the musicians to come back up. But here's what I, what I want to end with. Guys, studying the word of God together. Not just, not just on our own. That's important too. But studying the word of God together. It can help you grow in your faith. It can help you get unstuck spiritually. It can also help you get connected more deeply uh, to other people. Studying the word of God together can call us on our nonsense in a special way and hold us accountable for it. And this is a good thing because the safest place for our sin is in solitude. 
Studying the word of God together can expose errors and, and blind spots, right? The diversity of thought can lead to a fuller understanding. Guys, when we study God's word together, we make each other better theologians. Studying the word of God together can even bring you to the parts of the Bible that you may have been neglecting or avoiding, or maybe you just haven't gotten there yet. And that's a good thing. Because nothing less than the whole Bible can make a whole Christian. As we need God and we need his word and we need his word in community. So my challenge to you, church, is this year, would you give studying the word of God together space in your calendar would you give gathering together to study this word nearly immovable space in your calendar? Like, would you make this a priority? I would like us to close by singing a song in which we profess our need for God. So stand now if you're able and let's sing as the Jesus community that God has called us to be.